So this is the first Sunday in Lent, the 40-day season of spiritual renewal and preparation for Easter. Uh, this is an ancient uh, season in the church's history. In fact, Lent officially became part of the church's calendar um, at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And what's relevant about that is that uh, it was not long after Christianity became uh, legal to practice in the Roman Empire. Now, by comparison, the first recorded Christmas celebration was more than a decade later in 336 AD, <clears throat> which, which seems strange, I know. Um, but as far as the official church calendar goes, Lent predates Easter. And so uh, maybe Grumpy Cat is right. Maybe this is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> okay. This Here's, I gotta explain something. So as I was preparing for uh, the sermon this morning, um, I discovered that there is an entire genre of Lent memes, and I'm a church dork, and so they made me laugh out loud. So I'm going to share a few of them over the course of the first third of the sermon, so just be prepared. I'm glad you, some of y'all found that funny because it made me laugh out loud. So Lent has always been a more serious, a more reflective season in the life of the church. During these 40 days, we are called to a, a time of spiritual reflection and spiritual self-assessment. Uh, we're called to ask how we're doing in our identity as followers of Christ. Now, in the story of Jesus, he begins his public ministry with a 40-day period of trial and temptation in the wilderness. We're going to read that account from Mark's gospel here shortly. This was a time for him of spiritual preparation before his public ministry began. And so the church's uh, setting aside 40 days of Lent is an, an echo of Jesus' own wilderness journey. Now, uh, you may know if you've done the math, there are actually 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Um, my priest did not tell me this when I was growing up. My mom's in town and we talked about this. Uh, it became a surprise much later in life. So Sundays don't count in Lent. So whatever you're giving up for Lent, you can decide for yourself if you want to, you know, have that chocolate or whatever cake today. That's, that's up to you. Um, but the reason there are 46 days between Ash Wednesday and, uh, and Easter is because those Sundays don't count because Sundays are a weekly celebration of the resurrection. Uh, which is why, as Hermione properly notes, it's the first Sunday in Lent, not the first Sunday of Lent. Thank you. So there are some, <laughs> yes. See, some of it's gonna go like this for the first third of the sermon. So this is a, <laughs> a reference to the first Harry Potter movie. Anyway, shout out to Harry Potter fans. So Lent is a season uh, when followers of Jesus are encouraged to participate in spiritual practices that help draw us closer to God, um, practices that reduce the distractions in the world, distractions that uh, you know, too often encroach upon our relationship with God, practices that help us better follow Christ. And as long as the church has recognized this season, um, fasting has been a common practice in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions. That means fasting from, from meat. And so uh, I was raised Roman Catholic. We didn't eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Um, these days, that would not be a big deal for me at all. But when I was a kid, it was not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. Because as Oprah notes, that meant the dreaded fish sandwich. Now, you've heard me rant about this if you've been around for a while. You know, worst, worst thing that happens, you roll into McDonald's, you forget that it's a Friday, you have to settle for that stinking filet of fish sandwich. Oh, vey. 
I got lots of big feelings about the filet of fish, but we'll, we'll move on. So many people also give up something for Lent, usually some favorite thing, it's pr- uh, practicing a form of self-denial for these 40 days. And people go without something um, they love as a kind of sacrifice on their spiritual journey. So some people give up social media, for example. That's becoming increasingly uh, popular in recent years. Lots of folks give up some favorite food, you know, like chocolate or desserts or soda, that kind of thing. Um, Now, I don't drink alcohol, but some of those who do give alcohol up for Lent. And as someone of of Irish heritage, I can recognize a timing issue with that particular sacrifice. I mean, uh, who is the genius who put St. Patrick's Day in the middle of Lent, right? (laughs) It's a fair question. I mean, you think Patrick of all people would have known. Or as the anchorman guy says, uh, it's Lent, time to get your life together for 40 days. All right, that was the last one, I promise. Specifically, it's time uh, to check in on our spiritual health during our uh, these weeks leading up to Easter. And so here at Christ United Methodist Church, we offer the daily Lenten devotionals that I mentioned during the announcements. Um, we also have uh, the Lenten series, like the studies that you can join, um, cumc.com connect if you want details. Well, in addition to those studies and devotionals, our sermon series for the first five weeks of the season is about a personal spiritual discipline that we can practice uh, during this season, and we're going to get into details here shortly. So first, though, let's, uh, let's read our text. I'm going to read the first part of it now. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So for me, uh, one, of the, one of the blessings of having four different gospels is that we get um, four different accounts, four different perspectives um, on who Jesus was and, who, and what he was all about. And in the case of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, John, we have four very different voices with four different theological emphases. Now, the basics of the story of Christ are, of course, there in all four Gospels, but each of them emphasizes something different. And I believe that we should give the church credit here, because uh, the church actually chose the more challenging path. It would have been um, much easier if we only had one account of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. It would, it would be much more straightforward. Uh, we wouldn't have different perspectives on who he was. If the goal was to have a single authoritative account of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, obviously there would be no need for four different books written in four different places at four different times. But the thing is, uh, the Gospels, while of course containing biographical information about Jesus, of course, um, they're not intended to be a biography in the modern sense of the word. They are much more concerned with 
theology, specifically the theology of what Jesus means to the world and what Jesus means to each of us as his followers. And they are written from the particular perspective of four different authors writing to four distinct communities of faith. And the reason they're all in there is because the church has always been okay with nuance and shades of gray. I mean, if the church only wanted people thinking in black and white, either or, this or that thinking, we wouldn't have included four gospels in the Bible. But we believe that the authors of the, of the gospels were inspired by God to write their accounts of Christ's life just as we are guided by the Holy Spirit as we read the gospels and the Bible in general in order to be formed and shaped and guided in our spiritual journeys. And there's a reason that we use that metaphor of journey because it's the right, it's the right one. As scholar and pastor Richard Rohr notes, um, our God is a companion and savior and guide whom we can, and this is his phrase, uh, we can endlessly understand. <laughs> I love that phrase because the longer we live, uh, the more prayerfully we read the scriptures, the longer we're in a community of faith, seeking the truth and will of God together, the more we endlessly understand because there's always um, another step to take on our spiritual journeys. This is not a this is not a static thing. So, um, what does Mark have to tell us? Well, Mark is the, the earliest of the four gospels to have been written. This is a depiction of him at the Vatican. Uh, it was, he, was, he was writing and finalized his gospel in the late 60s AD, somewhere in there. And it's the shortest, it's only 16 chapters long. And if you've ever sat down and read it, which I'd encourage you to do, it doesn't take long, um, he, he writes with this tremendous sense of urgency. He tells the story of Jesus with a clear sense of mission and purpose. He does not um, elaborate upon the narrative hardly at all. In some places it's as though he's writing with as few words as possible. He does not tell us the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, instead, Jesus appears on the scene at his baptism in that ninth verse we started with, proclaimed by God to be the Messiah. And then, as we read, he is immediately driven into the wilderness for the 40-day period of preparation that sets the stage for his ministry. And um, the other gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular, spend much more time on that wilderness story. It's a beautiful story. It's a complicated story. It's got this wonderful theology that can shape and inform us as he's um, debating, wrestling, saying no to the devil or Satan. Um, but Mark doesn't give us any of that. Mark just gives us this, this two-verse summary. Mark's account of Jesus' life gives us a sense of urgency and offers us a lesson on our subject for today, which is uh, what it looks like to say yes to God. What does it mean to say yes to Christ? So um, if that's our subject, it raises the obvious question. <laughs> what is God asking of you right now? In what ways do you sense the Holy Spirit uh, nudging you to say yes, is there something that you think God is calling you to that you've been ignoring or deferring or, to put it more dramatically, running away from? If so, the first Sunday in Lent seems like the perfect time to say yes or at least uh, to seriously consider saying yes. 
For example, uh, maybe you've been considering a, a new spiritual discipline, like a mindfulness or a meditation practice. Or maybe you've been considering a new act of service, either here at the church or somewhere in the community. Maybe um, there's some cause that's been on your heart or some nonprofit that you've been drawn to but have not yet fully explored. Or maybe um, you've been meaning to get more informed about a, a social issue that's been nagging at you. Maybe, um, maybe you're not as patient with your family as you wanna be. Or maybe there's some other behavior that you, that you know you need to evaluate and change. Well, my experience of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit often speaks to us in subtle uh, but persistent ways. And my experience is also that, you know, you can only ignore that for so long. So we're going to finish the text now. It's going to include a depiction um, of how the disciples answered Christ's first call on their lives. So this is Mark 1, 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news, which is to say repent and believe the gospel. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their, boats, in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Amen. Ash Wednesday was just a few days ago, of course, and uh, you know, the point of that worship service is what's called the imposition of ashes. And as the ashes are uh, placed on our foreheads, the pastor says, repent and believe the gospel, which is a direct quote of what Jesus says here at the beginning of of Mark. And I mentioned on Wednesday that to repent in the biblical tradition has a couple of different meanings. Uh, in Hebrew, it means to turn, like literally to turn, as in to turn um, back to the path that God intends for us when we're headed in the wrong direction. While in Greek, it's got more of a metaphorical uh, meaning. It means uh, ha having a change of heart, um, as in turning things around spiritually. And the thing is that if we are if we're honest with ourselves, truly honest with ourselves, every one of us comes to those moments in our lives when, when we need to change, when we need to turn back to God in some way, when we need to, to turn things around spiritually. Now, it's different for all of us, of course, happens at different seasons in our lives. We, we all face different challenges, different turning points. Um, thank God that the Holy Spirit is, is with us always to guide us in that turning. But what's required in every case, whatever the circumstance, is our saying yes to God's leading. Now what makes this brief passage from Mark's gospel so compelling to me is the unique way that Mark's account of Jesus' life gives us a sense of urgency. Mark's pace in telling the story can help us with our own when we know there's something we should be doing in our discipleship and we just aren't yet. Now, when we read the Gospels, it's easy for us with the benefit of 
almost 2,000 years of Christian faith history to, to be critical of the disciples. I don't know if you've ever read stories about the disciples and thought, geez, how do they not get that? They're right there with the Son of God. And they often misunderstand Jesus. They, they make a lot of mistakes. Uh, later in the season in Lent, we're, during Holy Week, we're gonna read about how Peter denies him three times. We're gonna read about how they all disappear on Good Friday. I mean, there's, there's plenty to criticize about those original disciples when we read their story. But man, they get one thing very, very right. And it shows up vividly here in Mark. Jesus says, follow me. And Mark tells us that immediately they left their nets and followed him. (laughs) A few verses later, we're gonna read that Peter's married he doesn't ask his wife about this. He just throws his net away and goes, off. Well, she, he doesn't come home with fish that night. I'm sure she had an opinion about that. And their dad, uh, the boy's dad, Zebedee, surely had something to feel, something he was thinking when they just walked out of the boat and left him all alone with the hired hand. I mean, whatever else the disciples get wrong, they, they give us this great role model, at least in this passage, for saying yes. To Christ. Our Lenten sermon series is called Small Choices Change Everything. And uh, for these five weeks, you know, Palm Sunday is its own thing. And of course, Easter is the big celebration. But for the first five weeks of the season, we're going to be talking about the power of prayer in our lives. And I know that's a, a basic concept. We've been taught to pray since we were little, if we were raised in the church, or as soon as we find the church, we, we get that prayer is a big deal. It's a foundational spiritual discipline that's essential to our faith. Well, each week of this series, we're gonna be talking about a particular prayer that we can incorporate for that week of Lent. And we're kicking off the season today with a prayer um, that we sometimes, I mean, maybe better said, often need before we're ready to take that next step in our journey of faith. And I'm talking about those next steps that we've avoided or procrastinated, those next steps that seem too challenging or too scary or too disruptive, those next steps that we know might transform us or shake us up or lead us in some new and and thrilling but maybe intimidating ways. The kind of step that Jesus called the first disciples to when he first met them and and to which, to their credit, they responded immediately. I mean, it's good for us to acknowledge that that's not always easy for us. God's calling us to something new. We don't always want to say yes. And so this week, our Lenten prayer is a prayer for willingness, which is a simple prayer, but it's an essential one. And it can be general, like, uh, Lord, give me the willingness to respond to your call. Or, um, God, I ask for the willingness to hear what you're asking me. But sometimes the Holy Spirit's already been working on us and we know um, that there's a particular next step God is calling us to and we can, we can get more specific in our prayers if that's the case, like uh, to start that new spiritual discipline or to begin that new act of service or to get involved in that cause that's been on our heart or to support that nonprofit that we've been drawn to but haven't yet fully explored or get more involved about that that social issue that's been troubling us, or to change that behavior that needs changing. If that's the case, if we know specifically the Holy Spirit's been guiding us in some specific way, then our prayer 
is for the willingness to take the next right step that we know God is calling us to, that we know God desires for us. As we begin the season of Lent, may that be our prayer this week because this is the the perfect time to pray for willingness. After all, some are saying that this is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) 